25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, Charles. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. FF 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Here we go. Hour number two of the show. Off and running. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau Insurance in all 82 counties across the great state of Mississippi. Hometown heroes that can get you set up. Staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired at cspire check them out at cspire.com lots of ways for you to be a part of the show here in hour number two i've got uh, some stuff i want to lay in your lap so that we can kind of discuss it as uh, you tune in here today i I do want to continue though this thought of you know is, is there potentially an opportunity on the horizon you know whenever college football kicks back up Fall or not, whenever it kicks back up, is there an opportunity for some steps in the right direction that everybody has realized that the sport needed, but because it was just rocking along, making money, everything was cool, nobody really had time to stop and talk about making some of these adjustments. But this may have changed all that. Stuff like who's in charge. I mean, Mark Emmert of the NCAA, he's not in charge of college football. Who is in charge? (laughs) You know, who is the leader, right? It's conferences against conferences and all that kind of stuff. So therefore, maybe conferences ought to do their their own thing a little more. And that would solve some of the scheduling issues. It certainly would solve some of the attendance issues if you scheduled more conference games. Not eight for sure, and maybe not even nine. We're talking maybe ten or more. Yeah, it's not crazy because that's what people want. And fans want, if there's demand, then the supply will eventually meet it. Well, maybe it was going to meet the demand of the fans five or ten years down the road. Maybe it goes ahead and meets it now or you get a taste of it. I think there is a possibility with everything on the table. So we can talk about that some with you. And I'm really curious to see what your thoughts are as fans of different schools who listen to this show and have, you know, different routines. There are people who listen, who go to seven home games a year, tailgated every one of them, stay in a hotel or whatever. There are others who go to one or two games a year. There are other diehard fans who, you know, don't go to any and that's fine too. So the perspectives are different. I'm wondering if the reactions are different to that idea of what if because of what's going on, the Pac-12 is not going to play, uh, maybe not at all. 
The ACC partially, they may have a couple of schools that don't get to get off the ground, but the rest of them can. They have to figure out their own thing. And meanwhile, because it is what it is, all these SEC schools and these SEC states that are all telling us they're going to open this fall, that's what they're saying. It's not my decision. I'm not sitting here debating right or wrong. I'm just telling you what they're saying. They're going to open them. Therefore, football will be played. Maybe they just play each other. Like Lynn said yesterday when he called in, maybe they play each other 12 games. You have 14 SEC schools. You play 12 of them. <laughs> I mean, and if they do it and, you know, they open it up for fans, you're going to go? Well, and let's not even say go. Let's not even go that far down that road. Let's just say, what's your interest level? of your school playing against another SEC school versus playing New Mexico versus, I don't know, even playing a Power Five out of conference, NC State. I mean, if you had your pick, would you rather watch your team play against um, South Carolina, Florida? Tennessee, Vanderbilt, of course you would. So why not go down that road? Because like I started hour number one with, I just think that the decision that was made out in California, shutting them all down, only online classes this fall at their universities, shelter in place through at least September, that's it for that. It now makes the conversation about the possibilities of the SEC just playing each other even more valid, even more, I think, realistic, more of a possibility. So I'm curious to see what you think about it. You know, I also mentioned next week would have been the SEC baseball tournament. I got a text, I'm sorry, a tweet from Colonel Mustard. I'm Radio Wyatt on Twitter. Colonel Mustard said, Matt, a good gauge of the loss of that area, the Birmingham area, the Hoover area, is similar to hosting regionals in March Madness. Tons of money lost there. And that's it. See, Colonel Mustard, um, real quick, a, a preface for what I'm going to say. I'm not a money person. I don't understand it. Never have. I certainly don't understand all the ins and outs of uh, <laughs> big money and economic impact and big multiplication as it relates to that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not a money person. And so I have to ask people who are, and I have become really curious as I think about, okay, what would have been next week? And that is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a full week, six days of games, multiple games, and multiple teams, and multiple fan bases, hotel rooms for three and four nights, media in town, everybody buying tickets, paying for parking, staying in hotels, eating in restaurants, having to make trips to Walmart to buy sunscreen. You know, I mean, all this stuff, does it really put a big dent in it for Hoover and how big of a dent? And how much is that multiplied and magnified? Because on top of all this, the entire world has a big dent 
put in it financially. I think the impact is not something to be glanced over. That's just my opinion. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find the answers. Leon texted me and he said, Matt, uh, being from the state of Alabama, were you a big fan of Alabama or Auburn growing up? And were you recruited by either before signing with MSU? And then he says, Hale State. Yeah, um, I did not have uh, the uh, scholarship opportunity to go to Alabama. I did have the scholarship opportunity to go to Auburn. But I was a little different. Growing up, um, I was kind of an oddball. I, I certainly paid attention to it. I loved college football, but I didn't really get into football until I was in the eighth grade. So prior to that, growing up as a kid, all I cared about was baseball. I, you know, I, I ate, slept, and breathed the Atlanta Braves and uh, wanting to play baseball myself. And I sort of paid attention to football. And it, I was the oddball because you don't do that in the state of Alabama. All my friends. Hey, you pull for Alabama, you pull for Auburn. You know, you go to second grade first day and they go, the kid, some kid goes, hey, all the Alabama fans sit on that side of the room. You know, they do that stuff. But I didn't really ever latch on to one. And I think the primary we- reason was I was a baseball kid and a hunting and fishing kid. And then... Neither of my parents went to Alabama or Auburn. They both went to a small school, uh, NAI school, uh, Montevallo. Yeah, I think it used to be Division II, maybe played in the Gulf South. But anyway, Montevallo is just outside of Birmingham. Both my parents went there. My dad played baseball. My mother was studying to be a teacher. My dad was too, teacher coach. And so... Growing up, we didn't go to either campus. We didn't go to Alabama games. We didn't go to Auburn games. We weren't there. We weren't tailgating. I never saw my parents wearing Alabama or Auburn gear and hooting and hollering and all that kind of stuff uh, for the most part. I mean, it was just sort of a something you did. We all watched them. And then as I got older, I started really getting into football. I played football for the first time in the eighth grade and loved it. And, and by that time, I was sort of a big fan of the entire SEC uh, I put a VHS tape in a VCR every Saturday, um, starting at about 13, 14 years old, whatever I was, and recorded. I had my mom, she would stay home and she would record every SEC game that came on TV. It didn't matter who it was, because each Saturday, my dad and I were out either dove hunting or squirrel hunting or fishing every weekend. So we'd go out and then come back in and, and watch the games that mom recorded. We would listen to the Alabama and Auburn games on the radio sometimes when we were fishing, but we obviously didn't listen to it while we were hunting. So I had a little bit of a different thing. Uh, very non-typical for what goes on in the state of Alabama. Clay is hanging on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Let's chat it up. What's up, Clay? I don't know, man. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Literally. I'm ready for, I'm ready for you to talk about some different stuff, man. I'm tired of missing sports. <laughs> ready for something good. Yeah, and now, hey, look, I will tell you this. I, that's one thing I like about when before I get on the air every day, I, I click on the equipment, and I get to hear a good portion of the gridiron with Beaver and Chris. And I never, yeah. I never know what they're going to talk about. <laughs> and that's one great thing about their show is it's something different every day. For me, I'm – I'm in this sports groove, and I, I'm very interested in all these little nuggets of info of when football's coming back or is it. And I know it gets monotonous, too. So, uh, you know, sometimes you may have to call in and hit me on the head and tell me to change the subject. 
No, I, you know, I, I'm a huge Mississippi State fan, obviously, and I watch all women, men and women basketball games. I mean, I hate to say I've even watched stuff on TV that I normally wouldn't watch in the past, but baseball, I watch all the baseball games that are on TV. I told somebody last night at my father-in-law's 70th birthday party, I'm really kind of glad that we didn't have sports because I'm not a spring sports guy, number one, but I watch them because it's Mississippi State, so I'm going to watch it so I can yeah. complain or be happy, whatever it is my lifestyle takes me that day. But I've gotten so much stuff done with there not being <laughs> that obligation of I'm going home to watch a baseball game. Mm-hmm. I'm watching a, I'm watching four basketball games a week and then catching baseball, too. So yeah. all the stuff that has been neglected finally got done. But yeah. What I was going to say, if I was the commissioner, you know, back in the old days, if I'm not wrong, didn't the SEC just used to play everybody that was in the conference and maybe one out-of-conference person? Yes. I looked at the Mississippi State schedule one time, and it was – I think we played Auburn twice one year or something. Mm-hmm. But back in the old days. But what – if I was the commissioner, I'd reach out to the guy at the Big 12, the guy at the ACC, and I'd say, look, I'm making y'all an offer, whoever takes it. This is, just, this is a chance for them to create a super conference to take over the NCAA and say, look, we'll play our eight conference games. You play your number of conference games. We'll fill the other four with interdivision, interconference games. Just, to, to, just us. If, if the Big Twelve's not going to play and other people are going to play, I mean, I, I've heard somebody say that the Big Twelve or Big whatever the Texas group is, mm-hmm. Oklahoma and all that, they were going to play. So if that's the case, let's just go interconference with the ACC or the or the Big Twelve or mm-hmm. Big Ten, whatever the Big Twelve. Yeah, and. You swap out your four games there with them, it's still going to be huge TV rays. You're going to tell me an Alabama-Oklahoma or a, or a Tennessee-Texas or Mississippi State team not going to be a big rating? I mean, right. everybody in Texas is going to watch. Everybody in Oklahoma is going to watch. You know everybody in the South Carolina Conference is a big game. And they play an early or late game. They're going to watch that 2.30 kickoff. That's what I would do. That's mm-hmm. how, I mean, if you said who's in charge, I mean, honestly, when it comes to football, and not to – I know everybody says we're – Homers, the SEC is in charge, and he can control if they. Some people say we're not playing, and some people are, and SEC says we are. He can control that by contacting yeah. some of these conferences, the schools you lose, and the, the the money games may go away. You know, for for those schools, which is going to hurt some schools, and I don't like right. that. But right. Well, and it point, it may be a byproduct that is unfortunate, but but still, Clay. Um, it's what it's what needs to happen, and and I've I've gone on these big conversations before. I don't know how you feel about it, but I've touched on this before. Anytime we start talking about, you know, the the experience for the college athlete, and you know, we're gonna put their college experience at the forefront, make sure we take care of the athletes, and I go really because look in football, for instance, you've got an entire subdivision of college athletes that don't have any kind of championship to play for none whatsoever. They got nothing to play for except one or two money games a year. If, uh, and, and this is what I mean. You go to Louisiana Monroe. Okay. You're in the Sunbelt and the current structure, the NCAA tells Louisiana Monroe that they are on the same level as teams in the SEC. And, hey, Louisiana Monroe, guess what? You're playing, essentially, based on the paperwork, for the same championship that Alabama's playing for. The same one. And yeah. and it's absurd. So a kid goes to Louisiana Monroe, and I know we're going, 
well, look, not all kids are equal. Okay, the Tua Tonga-Valoas don't go to Louisiana Monroe, and there's a reason he's Tua. I get that, but he goes to Alabama, and he's on a level playing field with any Power 5 team. They all got a shot at the same championship. But we have this whole subdivision of the Sun Belt, the MAC, the Mountain West, all these schools, hundreds and thousands of athletes that don't have anything to play for except, hey, twice a year your school will accept a million-dollar check from Tennessee, and you get to play one game in Neyland Stadium. Congratulations. Well, and you know, it goes back to old Jackie Wayne used to, when I would, we would talk, and he used to always say this to me. He goes, you know, it's so hard week in and week out in the SEC for these guys to get up for mm-hmm. Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, Georgia every week. You can't, you, you get up three or four times a year, and the rest of the time you try to survive. Everybody in the conference is that way. Yeah. So when you go into a a Maine. Let's go to Maine. You go to a Maine game. Maine comes in here thinking, oh, you know, we, we don't have a shot, but we're excited to play them, and we get pumped up. It's like you're t- they go in and clip you because, hey, were you really focused on that game? I don't know if you played on that team. I can't remember. No, I was but, gone by then, yeah. Thank God. You know, thank are you goodness. really focused yeah. on the main, on the main team? Are you really focused on that? No, nah, you're just trying to get it over with. Year, yeah, you know? you're just trying to get it you're over with. You're trying to get them Mm-hmm. They're thinking they want to get a lead and let some people play. That's a, it's a meaningless game to us. And I don't no 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 slight to Maine or Troy. It's a meaningless game to us. I'd much rather play Vanderbilt, Kentucky, South Carolina, uh, Arkansas, where it means something. And you mm-hmm. got you got to fight for a little bit to do it. And hey, if we play the inter conference game with the ACC four of them or the or the Big Twelve four times a year, I'd get up for one of those games too. Yeah, I think sure don't want to get beat by Oklahoma or Texas, and then all of a sudden, oh, so you're you're bringing the conference down. And, you know, just, just, that's how people talk, you know. And I still but, say with great certainty, like last year, um, everybody in that in, in that entire stadium, w- instead of watching State play against Kansas State, would have rather watched State play against South Carolina or Vanderbilt. You know, or one of one of these teams, SEC teams, that's not on their schedule. They would much rather and have, go- have seen that. And you're you're gonna you're gonna have more than twenty five thousand people there when you're playing a conference. Ain't no opponent. doubt. Maybe not for Vanderbilt, but even Kentucky stepped up to the plate. And now, guess what? You know what? You got to get ready for Kentucky because they're gonna it. come punch you in the mouth too. Well, that's not a guarantee. And, and even the TV ratings would be bigger for those games. You know, so that's what I'm saying. That pushing. If what comes out of some things in this out of necessity is if it pushes a situation on everybody where we get to see what it would be like if the SEC just played each other every week, it, we're finally going to get to kind of force it and, and see that that's what's best for the most part. Nick Saban has been right the whole time. You ought to be playing 10 conference games. And then this, this is what, I was, gonna, you, this is what I was going to point out, Clay. Go ahead, go ahead. Mac Brown, who's now coaching at North Carolina, he gave a quote yesterday that said, I've always thought we should have one commissioner for all commissioners, meaning all of college football. He says, I think it would be really, right. really good. Maybe put the NCAA under that group, too, because he said even one of the concerns is that we've gotten a lot of different interpretations with all the NCAA's changes that we've had to make even in the last month and a half. So it sparked this conversation of, should college football move towards having one commissioner who's kind of the boss over the entire thing? Because right now you don't have a boss. 
you know, Emmert and the NCAA are pretty powerless as it relates to football, and you have basically five commissioners, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, Big 10, and ACC, and they all have about as much power as each other. Well, but if you <clears> – <throat> something like that, I would not want to give somebody over the big – I mean, because you know, then they're going to pick somebody that's over one of those five conferences. If you took the Power Five and you created a board, and that board you elect somebody, whether they're for eight years, ten years, or whatever, mm. or throughout the stint of their – that's the commissioner. That's the head of the board. Yeah. But you got to have you got to have a voting body that represents each conference under it. And, he, hey, he may, it may be the SEC guy, it may be the Big Ten guy, but he still gets a vote. It's still one vote. You got five votes in, so then it's you. you you'll have a deciding factor with that. Yeah. I don't like the fact of giving it all to one guy because you know what that one guy does? He decapitates us. Yeah, he I tries to make mean. it a balanced playing field. Yeah, he tries to make it a balanced playing field across the conference, so it's fair. And we don't win every tur- uh, championship out there in football. So what you're saying is what what you're saying, Clay. As the music starts, is you're not surprised that somebody from the ACC. Um, wants one big, <laughs> big commissioner. Not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I got Absolutely you. not. Hey, good call. Good to All hear right, from man. you, man. Have a good All right. All right bye. Thanks. Good call from Clay. On the Divinity Equipment phone line, Divinity Equipment on Highway 51 Madison, Spring Ridge Road in Jackson. Hour number two underway. Still got a ways to go, so y'all call me and text. We'll get after it. I'm Matt. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back on the show, long way to go. I'm a poet and don't know it. I get a rhyme every time. I started the show today. I think it was news right about the time the show started around noon. And um, that that was a while back. So I just want to repeat it in case uh, you have joined since then and listening into the show, which you many, many do throughout, you know, listen to little snippets here and there. So this was a while back when I mentioned it. And it may have slipped by you, but the official Mississippi State Twitter account uh, sent one out with a link, and it said Mississippi State University is committed to welcoming students back to campus this fall to resume in-person classroom and laboratory instruction. And then it had a link that you could click for details, and without going into a ton of those details, I will tell you, It is a new article uh, on the Mississippi State website as of today, and the opening paragraph points this out. That President Keenum said the university is fully committed to welcoming students back to campus this fall and that plans to resume in-person classroom and lab instruction in the fall of 2020 semester are, and I quote here, on schedule and taking solid form. And I think that's significant. You just need to know about it. Now you do. So file that away and we'll kind of see uh, how things go from there. 
Some text to get to here on the Country Pleasing text line. It's 885-ESPN. That's a 601 number, 885-ESPN. Text me. Flowtown Ghost talking about what if the SEC were to play themselves uh, this fall. Flowtown Ghost said a lot better since we hardly get to see many of the East teams more than once a decade. The current scheduling model is the best they could do. I understand it. 14 teams are stuck in it the way they set it up. But it is horrible. The very idea that Florida plays like Western Kentucky more often over the next decade than they do Mississippi State. They might as well not even be in the same conference. State plays more teams from Arizona over the next five to six to seven years than it does teams from Florida. It is crazy how we got there. I mean, everybody with good intentions and really smart people trying to figure it out. But somewhere along the way, the the thinkers in this conference agreed and still believe that it's best to mandate everybody scheduling Power 5 schools out of conference, putting Kansas State on the schedule twice, and North Carolina State, and Arizona, and all this, yet we ain't seeing Florida until my daughter is ready to graduate from high school and she's eight. It makes zero sense. None. You can't talk it into making any sense. It's bad. It's, I mean, it's a dead idea. Time to figure it out, move it on into something else. Saban knows it. Been beating that drum for two years. When he first started beating that drum, we laughed at him. And now we all agree with him. Maybe we should have listened from the get-go. Maroon Richie, same thing on the Country Pleasing Texas. Absolutely, it'd be fun to watch nothing but conference games. It would be. Now, here, listen to this text from Hogjowl. Now, this is real stuff right here. Okay? And he's not the only one in this boat. This is important. So listen to what Hogjowl texts me. He said, Matt, there's no bigger fan than I. I bleed red hog. Hog red. Sorry. I bleed hog red. <laughs> Woo pig. He says, I don't care who we play. I hope it works out. We can play. However, due to my age and pre-existing conditions, I will not use my season tickets until there is a proven vaccine. And see, y'all, that's real right there. That's what that is. That's the real deal right there. That is reality. That is a portion of the new normal. It's here to stay for a while. Proven vaccine, we don't know how long. Could be a while. Years. Hopefully not. Hopefully sooner. But that's real. So part of the new normal hog jowl is that's exactly right. We talk about you know, declining attendance. Well, we're about to see that, aren't we? Because rightfully so. Until there's a major breakthrough in terms of the vaccine and all the medical world agrees with it, if you are of a certain age, number one, but especially if you're of a certain age and you have pre-existing health conditions, you're not going out to those big crowds in a stadium like that. You're just not. Until the vaccine develops. And that's part of this. And 
Everybody understands that, and rightfully so. And Jason in Flagstaff, we, we took him down memory lane when I started talking about we'd go hunting and fishing on fall Saturdays. When I was a kid, we'd listen to the games on the radio, then watch them on VHS. We recorded them while we were gone. And he says, oh, dang it, now I'm about to cry. Because <laughs> they do the same thing. And he had a memory of listening to Jack on the radio. Ghost Pepper, thanks for the link. He sent me a link. Uh, he says, you got to watch the sonic boom entering the stadium at Alcorn. I'm going to click that link during the commercial break. Hey, uh, real quick. I hadn't done this yet since it's my show. I want to know if there's anything new going on with Beaver. Let's check in with the man, the myth, the legend. At Beaver1059 on Twitter. Y'all follow him. Beaver, what's new? Oh, Matt. Well, it's going to be a little anticlimactic okay. because I'll tell you, not much. <laughs> uh, we had that saga, you know, that we followed for two weeks. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that gave us something to talk about. But now the saga is over. I got that TV and pretty much all that's been going on since that is watching it. Okay. Well, I totally understand. Well, I appreciate you being honest as opposed to just making something up for the sake of the radio. Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, Are you a video game guy? I don't know if I've ever asked you that before. I used to be a lot bigger. Okay. um, But I I wish I was really, but it's such a gamble because games are so expensive now Mm -hmm. that I don't... Because, you know, ever since uh, video stores went away, Right. You don't have a place to go rent the games. Right. Okay? And a uh-huh. game is $60, so it's too much for me to pay just to see if I like something, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I totally get it. So that kind of got me out of the, the gaming world. I'm willing to admit that little Matt spent way too much time playing Super Mario Brothers in about 1987. Okay, I did it. But that's how far you have to go back in my life to when I was a gamer. <laughs> Even in college when all my buddies were playing like, you know, the NBA basketball stuff on PlayStation and all this, I was just not into it that much, really. The 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 games. I just never have. When we went to the Cotton Bowl and we played Texas my junior year, um, one of the gifts that we got for being in the Cotton Bowl was every player they gave us a PlayStation, a brand new PlayStation. And I was like, what am I gonna do with this? I started asking guys if they wanted to buy it from. Like, what am I going to do with this? I don't play games. <laughs> so that kind of gives you. But speaking of, I just have to bring this up. Listen to this. By the way, Super Mario, does this ring a bell? Oh, yeah, it does. All right, here's the story. Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady's all-in challenge donation experience brought in an $800,000 donation. The donation wins this guy the chance to hang out with Tom Brady. Gets game-worn jerseys and cleats. He gets to have dinner with Tom Brady. Gets to work out with the six-time Super Bowl champ. Here's how he was able to make an $800,000 donation. He's a 25-year-old YouTube star. He is known online as Super Bowser Logan. He's got million-dollar checks because he gets so many views on his YouTube channel, 25 years old. He got his fortune on YouTube for making his channel based on his love of the Super Mario video games. 
I kid you not. Beaver, we're doing it all wrong. At hey. one point, this guy was reportedly making nearly $1 million a month from his YouTube channel. So when he made the, he's a big Tom Brady fan. He made this $800,000 donation. That's nothing. The guy's 25 years old. And now he's hanging out with Tom Brady. Or going to, anyway. Want it. Beats anything I've ever seen. How's this music make you feel? Old? <laughs> <laughs> That's the warp zone. That's what this is right here, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what this music is? See if you can guess. That's when Mario is swimming. Oh. <laughs> oh, I hate this. Uh, your Cooper? Bowser? Yeah, what about him? Is that where you're fighting him? Oh. sound like dangerous music. That Yeah, you were in the dungeon on that one. That's okay. what that was. Yeah. Everybody out there who's 40 years old knows exactly what all those songs are. They played way too much Mario Brothers and doggone, it's a 25-year-old knucklehead makes a YouTube channel all about loving Super Mario games. One million dollars a month and just paid $800,000 to hang out with Tom Brady. Good for Tom Brady, though. Raise the money he wanted to raise. That a boy. It pays to have fans. Beaver, we're doing it all wrong, man. Yeah, we are. I mean, what could we do? We got to come up with an idea. I don't know. We'll get right on that. It's not like millions of others aren't trying it also. It's a problem. Stick around. Back on the show. What up? Little ways to go with you here on this Wednesday. Hump day. Tomorrow, Thursday. Hey, uh, if everything goes according to plan, tomorrow on the show we'll get to hear from Chris Lamonas, the head baseball coach at Mississippi State. And I'm going to ask Chris all about this abbreviated Major League draft. Only going to be five rounds. And what that might mean for his team, but really for college baseball in general, does it mean that there are more good players coming back to college next year than we thought? Uh, does it mean that, I mean, because it's an abbreviated draft that the major leagues will actually draft more SEC players in those first five rounds than they normally would? You know, I, I'm not the expert on that, but I think he's one of the experts. We'll talk with him tomorrow about it. And uh, that's a heads up for you. Hey, speaking of baseball, let me take you down memory lane here on the baseball front. Let's start in what year? 1958. On this day, May the 13th, 1958, as a pinch hitter, Stan the Man Musial, Musial <laughs> got his 3,000th hit. 
and the Cardinals win over the Cubs. Here's the pitch. Line drive, there it is! Into left field! Hit number 3,000! A run is scored! Busey to run first! On his way to second with a double! Holy cow, he can't Dan, I wonder, do you have any other goals set for yourself? Well, of course, this was a big one. Of course, I, uh, I just uh, want to keep playing now, and uh, I don't have uh, too many other goals. Uh, uh, although I would like to finish the, my National League career as, uh, as uh, one player who uh, had more hits than anybody else in the National League, so it's going to take another couple of years. How about that? Get to hear the voice of Stan Musial. Did you notice who was on the, the radio call? Stan Musial played for the Cardinals. Got his 3,000th hit for the Cardinals on this day in 1958 in a game against the Cubs in the sixth inning. Mo Drabowski was the pitcher. The Cardinals beat the Cubs 5-3. Stan the man, youngest player to reach the 3,000 hit mark. Did it. He was the eighth major leaguer to do it. The guy on the radio call, do you know who it was? It was Harry Carey because he called the Cardinals games before the Cubs. Here's the pitch. Line drive, there it is! Into left field! Hit number 3,000! A run is scored! Busey will run first! On his way to second with a double! Holy cow! How about that? Holy cow. On this day in 2012, May the 13th, it was Mother's Day. And the Marlins had a game where in the ninth inning they had the bases loaded. And on Mother's Day, Big Stanton, Big, Big Giancarlo Stanton was at the plate. Stanton against Acosta. Bags loaded, two outs, tie game, ninth inning. Drive the left and deep. Get out of here. Grand slam. Ball game. Walk off. Happy Mother's Day. Like that, baby. Isn't that cool? A few years later on this day, May 13th, 2015, Cleveland Indian starter Corey Kluber struck out 18 St. Louis Cardinals. 18 strikeouts for Corey Kluber. Blew it right by him. What a night for the Indians' right-hander. <clears throat> yes, sir. Anything else happen? Oh, I also saw this. This was interesting. This was just uh, May the 13th, 1947. During the pregame infield practice, a barrage of racial slurs is directed at Jackie Robinson by the Cincinnati fans during the Dodgers' first visit to Crosley Field in 47. Brooklyn shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, a Southerner from Kentucky, with friends attending the game and a captain of the team, engages the black infielder in conversation and then put his arm around his teammate's shoulder, a gesture that stunned and silenced the crowd. That's probably the most historical thing in baseball that happened on this day. And, you know, that scene... Uh, was portrayed in the movie. I have seen that particular scene uh, uh, from that movie, just a clip of it, uh, 42, but I've, I've never seen the whole movie. And I, it's one of a couple of baseball movies I want to make sure I go and and get a, 
chance to watch. Hey, uh, before we wind up here today with you on this uh, Wednesday, a couple of texts I want to get to here. Jason in Flagstaff says, do you know anything about trout fishing? Not really. Okay. I have never taken a fly rod and gone out wading in a stream somewhere, like, you know, a river runs through it, that sort of thing. Knee-high water, waist-high water waders using a fly rod to catch trout. I've never done that. I want to do it. It's a very iconic way to fish, right? People think about that, right? I've never done that. However, I've owned fly rods. I've caught many fish on a fly rod. It's just been either bluegill, brim, using a fly rod with a little bitty fly or a little bitty popper. I've even used bigger line and poppers and baits on a fly rod to catch bass, but I've never caught trout on a fly rod. Yes, I have caught trout. One time, Jason, I went to... Shoot, where was it? Heber Springs, Arkansas? Is that where that little red river runs through there and they have Lindy's Resort? It's like a trout fishing thing. But what it is, a guide takes you out in a boat on this river. You use light line spinning tackle. And you catch these rainbow trout. And every now and then you catch a brown or something else. But it's below this big lake where the water is always kind of cool all year long. And you catch these rainbow trout. You catch a limit, take them back over to the bank. The people that work there, they, you know, basically clean them for you, hand you their your fish in a bag with ice and say, here you go. <laughs> that was back when I did that for two or three days uh, going on 15 years ago when I was working at the local news station. We did that. We came back, did a news story about it. And on the local morning show, did a live thing in the studio of the local news morning show where we cooked that fish we caught, <laughs> I, I don't know, it wasn't that great because I didn't cook it very well. But it was a cool experience. And catching them was really cool. And the guy who was our guide for two days of fishing was this big burly guy with this huge beard. He looked like the, you know, Jeremiah Johnson, mountain man. And he was a retired Arkansas FBI agent. He was an interesting dude. Yeah, that was a... That's my trout fishing experience, all of it. Uh, Anthony in Tupelo, we were talking about the guy making all that money on YouTube. He says, heck, I'd just like to get a YouTube channel that brought in 10000 a month, <laughs> much less a million dollars a month talking about Mario Brothers. <clears throat> Look, you just got, you, you've got to be, you got to have a lot of time on your hands and you basically have to be lucky for a YouTube channel to really take off to where you're making that kind of money. I think last year, 20, well, maybe it was 2018. It was either 2018 or 2019. I, I have a YouTube channel and I got some checks from YouTube, you know, ad shares, revenue stuff. I think my YouTube channel has like maybe 11,000 subscribers. That ain't very many in the grand scheme, but to me, it's a ton. And I actually got checks Small ones, <laughs> very small ones from YouTube for ad stuff. Nowhere near any of that, you know. What do you got to do to take off? You got to either be the best at something or the worst. Everything in between is just noise. It's just static. 
You've either got to be the best or the worst at something. I think that's what is required. Finally, I'm going to leave you with this. Maybe this is luck, too. A 60-year-old golfer won an amateur event using only a putter. Uh-huh. 60-year-old Golf Week Amateur Tour golfer Anthony Griggs at a recent event turned in an 84 to win the D flight during a recent uh, event at Whirlwind Golf Club in Chandler, Arizona, Jason. He used nothing but a putter for 18 holes regardless of the situation. He's a Gary, Indiana native, moved to Arizona in 2001, plays golf all the time. He's very good. You know, and at his age, he drives the ball way over 200 yards and all this. Used a Scotty Cameron putter for 18 holes, one club, and shot an 84. Some of you weekend warriors out there hacking it away on the driving range and paying for lessons and hadn't come anywhere near shooting an 84. That's the thing about golf. Some people are meant to be good at it, and the rest of us are just meant to enjoy it. <laughs> the day we came into this world. All right. See y'all tomorrow. See ya.